Hello everyone, it is WDW Happy Hour here. I am Catherine. I'm joined around the table by Scott Stomach. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just eat before you come to I'll tell you right now, I had three cups of coffee and a donut, so... Oh, dang. Wow. So you are buzz. He's not even. Um, we also have Matt. Hello. Holly. Hi. And Rob. Greetings. Um, I know I always say we have a really fun topic, but I am so excited for our main topic this week. It is a really good one. We really get to flex our creative muscle. Um, but before we get started on that, uh, we also have a lot of news. Um, but as we always do, we're going to start with a topping it off where someone highlights a Disney drink from somewhere in, somewhere around the Disney world or land. And uh, Matt, you're up. Yep. And uh, I'm going to travel um, to a place that we've highlighted uh, briefly over the past couple, um, I don't know, within the past couple months, but it's the open air Riva bar at one of the newest resorts at Walt Disney World, the Riviera. And the drink that I had there was called La Petite Fleur, which I believe stands for the little flower. And we got you got roasted by the people we were with when you ordered that. I do not care. <laughs> I will drink my little flower all day long. Shout and out to Joey and Jen. La Petite Fleur is Ciroc vodka, uh, Lillette Blanc, chamomile tea, lemon, and soda water. And it came garnished with a lemon, um, which is like... I'm, it was a, yeah, but it was like, um, it, it had a, uh, Arnold Palmer vibe to it because of the chamomile tea and the, the lemon, even though there's no, you know, and, and soda water. So it was almost like an alcoholic Arnold Palmer with a twist. It was, uh, it was awesome. It's a very summery, um, warm weather drink. And I highly recommend it if you were over at the Riva bar at the Riviera. La Petite Flora. I saw chamomile and I was like, oh, he's going to get that. I feel like that hooked you in, did it? Yeah, it was good. Okay. I had a tea-based drink at um, <laughs> Enchanted Rose. Oh, and, that's right. Um, it wasn't good. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I forget what it was, Like, but the, the main ingredient was some sort of tea. Yeah, they're, just, I find it was they're hit or miss. It was disappointing. I don't think but, of an herbal tea as a base for a alcoholic beverage but i mean if it was good it was good i liked it good yeah. all right well rob let's uh kick it to sure. you we got quite a bit of news this week yeah so disney had their annual shareholder meeting um bob Iger confirmed that he is leaving the company as of december 31st 2021 mm. so he has put this off numerous times but he's confirming that as of march he is leaving so Disappointing. When did he announce this? Oh gosh, I, I mean, think it this, was. When was this meeting? This meeting was uh, eleven days ago. So. Oh, so the stock has dropped precipitously since that announcement. Oh, interestingly, mm, yeah. it's been down about ten points. Bye yeah. bye. <laughs> Do you think he's the de facto CEO though? Still, I don't he's know. Still on the board, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know, that's a good question. It, depends, good it all depends on how involved he wants to be. I feel like it's entirely up to him. Or is he going to be governor of California? That's true. That's Your lips to God ears, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't live there, but um, oh, I know. can see that being a distinct <laughs> possibility. Well, I mean, it doesn't, I would say I know, it doesn't really affect my day-to-day. -day. Sure. Um, if Newsom gets recalled, which it sounds like it's going to happen... Right. Um, but I guess he has to then be 
formally recalled, right? It goes up it to gets referendum and then time, yeah. I could see that happening. Uh yeah, that's about it for that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have confirmation that Remy's Ratatouille Adventure will open October 1st, 2021 at Epcot. So they are holding off on this. This is ready to go. Um, I was really hoping it would have been open sooner than that. Or are they looking just to open a ride for the 50th? I think that's... Because none of the other rides... Are going to be ready. Are going to be ready. No Tron. I think that's twofold. I think it's that. And I also think that they're trying to exercise the utmost precautions when it comes to opening a new ride and tempering expectations for crowds in in the pandemic they're giving all that more time for vaccinations and um other things to settle down so i think that that october date is just being just super safe with it and then you also get a summer date yeah yeah that's what i was hoping for but yeah Mm. Well, that's interesting. I have on good authority and an and inside scoop there. And this has been since November that this has been fully built and ready to go. Cast members trained, right? Cast members just needed to be trained and they were training back then. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, November. November. So. It, the article does. So it says, although the ride is already completed, it appears the company has opted to wait for the parks to return to a more normal operating status before opening the expansion. It should also be noted that while the official opening date is October 1, this does not rule out previews and soft openings prior to that date. So oh, that's a good allow- point. You'll right. probably see it start yeah, running like in some capacity yeah. by by uh, summer. Yeah. Gotta keep those wheels yeah. greased. I was yeah. gonna say, they ha- almost have to do some soft openings just to keep everybody fresh yeah. and... Yeah. Yeah. What did what did flight of passage that was open at least three, almost yeah. a month? I want to yeah, say. The, yeah. The the uh, AP previews were late April, early May, and it opened over Memorial Day. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, you had nearly a full month of people getting to experience so you could, it. So you could potentially see late August. Yeah, like September. the start of mm-hmm. food and wine, probably. Yeah. They could opt to do even more, like two months full However, of previews. I feel like we're we are in a new model now that I can't see this happening without a virtual queue, just like Rise of the Resistance. So I think it'll be a similar opening to Rise of the Resistance, because. But then, how do you do a preview with a virtual queue, <laughs> right? It just pops because, up on your phone. Yeah, and right. You, you, an can, option. you can get on now. Just press the button. Like so, it's. It'll be interesting to see how they do it because I think that's probably the safest way from like a COVID perspective is yeah. you don't have a ton of people waiting mm-hmm. in a physical line, not passing out in the the Epcot heat in the middle of like August or September. But we shall see, I suppose. Yes. Um, so Disneyland, we have we talked about this last episode. Um, we have some details on that. Both theme parks in the, at the Disneyland Resort will be opening April 30th. They're going to be using a park reservation system, and it's restricted to California residents um, at the start. So they're saying it's going to operate between 15 and 35% capacity, depending on levels of COVID in the area. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It says, in contrast, while Disney World reopened in July 2020 at a 25% capacity. So, um, with that, the hotels are also reopening Grand California on April 29th. Um, the villas May 2nd. Um, and it says, Paradise Pier and Disneyland Hotel will reopen at a later date. 
They're doing construction on Disneyland Hotel, right? Or, like, there's definitely some, like, access issues right now. Like, I think they have that boarded... I don't think they were allowing anyone access from, like, downtown Disney. right. Um... It's interesting that the resorts are reopening if they're restricting it to California residents. I mean, I know California's a big state, but that seems like a... Um, I think they want to have the DVC property open so people start using their their points. points, Yeah, Mm -hmm. use those points up. Yeah. I think they have to. They're going to be in a big pickle as it is. Yeah. And I can see, like, if you're, you know, several hour drive away... Oh, yeah. California's been in a much more locked down state then I think we probably realize yeah so I'm sure they want to get away you know so if people just even want to do a long weekend or whatnot just to get out of the house and right that's a much more manageable um if you haven't if you've been really locked down a two-hour trip to stay in a hotel for a a long weekend is a much more manageable trip than any like out-of-state travel yep Mm -hmm. I'm excited so excited. It's great. Well, I mean, the sooner that they open it there, the sooner, you know, we'll one day get back. I mean, yeah. until you had that point, you've got to go through all those stages of, well, then it's California, then it's 50% someday, and mm-hmm. onward and upward. I'm just yep. excited to see it, like, reopen. Like, yeah. With it being closed. Yeah, they should broadcast that. I bet that'd be fun to watch. I know. Like, that would be great. My cousin's little baby girl, Mari, she'll be able to experience Aww. Disneyland for the first time because she has not. Yeah. Since COVID hit, so. Yeah. All right, last news story. Disney Magic mobile service coming soon to Walt Disney World, beginning with Apple devices. So this is, uh, I'll try and explain this as best I can. It's basically a um, an add-on to your wallet feature on your phone um, that, will feed, that will effectively act as a magic band. So you'll be able to add... What do they call it here? I'm trying to read through quick here. Disney you, dollars. <laughs> no, it's you. It, your digital wallet. You add. You go through the app, and you add it to your digital wallet. Um, and by holding your smart device near any access point, it will act like a magic band. Hmm. I'm really on the fence with this, just because. I mean, my Disney experience never works on my iPhone in the parks. <laughs> like I don't know. I'm hoping. They can work out glitches, but well, it should be said that this is fully rolled out in an Asian park. I want to say Tokyo. They use okay. this technology, and it'll open your. Well, they already do the hotel okay. door open, but I'm excited for this. Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, um, I doubt that this, this isn't proprietary technology. Like this isn't an app. This is existing tech that they're just. Um, shoehorning into um like the ios infrastructure so like it shouldn't be like it doesn't seem like it's like a disney developed from the ground up thing which makes me feel better about it and plus when it comes to like payment and stuff like this it has to be like so locked down for like compliance and stuff so like as far as like glitches i feel better about this than if they were like it's a new app See, I didn't know they did. They use this technology over. Yeah, so. yeah. I think I believe it's Tokyo. It could be Shanghai since they're. Yeah, it doesn't newer. mention that in. in and it in works, it. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I like it. I like it just because, like, I'm not a huge, like, I, I, I am very cognizant of a carbon footprint, and I, I think it's a good thing they're not sending magic bands automatically unless you want to buy them. 
Um, I like I like this. I'm more of like a simple like whatever's on my phone. I just need my phone and like my sunglasses, and I'm good to go to a park. Like yeah. that's that's my jam. Yeah, I also think the the reduction of the carbon footprint's a big thing because I don't yeah I don't need a freaking magic band. You know, we, every, we looked through our magic bands last week, and we like had so many duplicates of every color. We were like, we're throwing. Yeah, I went through a great purge, the and then, yeah, and then I just thought about all the magic bands just like sitting in a landfill somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting. They must have done research on the fact that I'm sure they make a ton of money selling the limited editions mm-hmm. and all that. I guess they feel like that's not gonna that market's not gonna be affected. Because this isn't, they're not generating any revenue from this. Right. It's more of a convenience thing. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I, I mean, my take on this is a little bit, I would still wear my magic band even if I had this for two reasons. One, people are so stupid. They cannot open apps on their phone. They can't use their sure. Apple wallet. If you've ever been behind somebody in a store trying to use Apple wallet and they aren't familiar with the process, it takes forever. And I imagine waiting to get into a theme park as somebody's trying to like, well, I, I, I have it. I promise I have it on my phone. Um, let me just let me just get it up here. Is that your Bill Clinton? Is... No, that's my stupid American voice. I promise I have it on my phone. Oddly, very close to Bill Clinton. Yeah. But, um, the other thing, I often run out of power in the parks on my phone. Oh, and if oh, I was relying on my phone... Yeah. Oh, absolutely, I do. The services, and so many people are trying, and the Wi-Fi is bad. Like, I, just, it's I would be hesitant to, to think that I couldn't buy another drink for the rest of the day because <laughs> I'm solely relying on my yeah. my Apple wallet for that. Magic Band's like your backup. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... You know, I'm always in support of other options, but... And it, it does say within... It says guests can choose between the two. Mm-hmm. So if you want you to go back and forth, yeah. that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a good thing. But that's just my... I mean, I'll, I, I'll eat my words if it is easy to use. When's, it, when's this starting? Did I... It didn't say... Good question. Yeah, it just said... it. The long-awaited introduction, it says. <laughs> they, okay. We haven't seen anything on my genie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Jesus, pour one out for my genie. Forgot about that. If you want like a thrill-seeking day, or like a princess day, or like a pirate day. This is terrible. We're doing great voices today. This is just vintage WDW happy hour. I hate marketing. Oh, it was so bad. That that panel, it was like freaking crickets when they announced that. It was so great. Because everybody sitting there was a veteran Disney person who was like, so, am I getting more of the rides I want, or just what you have available? Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, we know. Yeah, but tell we me about what go. you're doing with Target. That's what we really want to know. <laughs> oh. Vomit. Oh, truly. <laughs> and, like, it's just another way. It's not going to make anything more available, right? It's going to make things less available. Oh, Disney Genie, I can't with you. I can't with you. <laughs> Oh, Disney okay. Genie, Why you gotta I wish for your freedom. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what else you got? That's it. That's all for the news. That's all for the news. All right, so who wants to um, talk about our main topic? Rob, do you want to since this was your brainchild? Oh, uh, yeah. sure. I your love baby. this. Yeah, you too. Um, I don't know what prompted me. It was before, what was I watching or reading? Was it, or... was it the sta- state, the stockholder meeting? Was it? No. Okay. But I thought you were going to think that because of, what oh, was it? Oh, it was the DCA. 
Oh, yeah, the DCA, um, because obviously people know what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, they did a 20th anniversary panel for uh, DCA for, what, D23, D23 gold yeah. numbers. Yeah. It was so good. So Catherine it had it and shared it with me, and, and Holly and I watched it and just fell in love with it. It was fantastic. But I thought maybe you were going to think that prompted me to think of the topic, but it was independent of, okay. <laughs> of that event. So um, the topic is... If we could go back in time, individually, uh, or collectively, for that matter, and witness any event in the history of the Walt Disney Company, be it a board meeting, be it a private meeting, be it an opening of some hotel, Anything, park, at any time. Anything, anything historic, a premiere, any, a premiere any, of any an event. event. Yes. You can go there, you can travel and be there. You can witness it firsthand, yep. How's that? Woo! <laughs> yeah, the way back machine. So that was that was the idea. Um, you know, they're approaching a hundred year anniversary of the company. Twenty three. Twenty three. It's wild. So there's there's lots of events to choose from. So I thought this would be interesting to just see what interests us the most, or what we thought would be the most interesting. So. All right. So we all came up with three events and we did talk prior to the podcast so we don't have overlap um there are a few that we kind of all like agreed on and we'll all chime in on those when they come up that there are some that are like so universally that all of us would want to be there that we'll kind of talk about that when they come up i'm actually i'm gonna start um and then we're gonna do them in reverse order of what our like third choice is and rank ramp up to our our favorites um so my um my third uh event i'd like to be a fly on the wall for this this is actually the first thing that came to mind when rob told me this idea and i thought for sure he would also have this one but he does not um so i read bob Iger's book last year and I thought it was so good and he talks about how like it seems like he's kind of like a visual learner and like almost like an educator in the same way Um, and in January 2019 he came back from a holiday vacation having announced that they were buying Fox and he realized he better find out how we're going to manage this so he rolled a whiteboard into the conference room and stood in front of it and what i did was i made a list of all the assets of the company combined entities and anything i could think of and i had to go to wikipedia to find everything we own (laughs) it's a long list i have a good memory but it's not that good um so in the deal that was when they bought fox um which i think is just like this moment for me just like perfectly explains like the Iger era of of Walt the Walt Disney Company because we talked today he's not going to be here after this year and kind of like all the great things that Bob Iger did for for Disney and we got you know Pixar Lucasfilms Marvel and Fox out of it and this is like that last meeting where where he listed everything so I would have liked to be in that room for him to do that because I feel like that was a very- who was in the room it, it kind of just said he rolled it into his office. Huh. I mean, you read this book. Who was in the room? <laughs> I don't know, but I didn't read it. I mean, I read it a year ago. I didn't reread it. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's my, my third. In your scenario, you are. Yeah, I am. Oh. I am, dog. <laughs> All right, Matt, you're up. What's your, what's your third choice? Um, 
I realized looking at mine that all of these are like you. I could go either two ways with this, and there's like big grandiose events and like almost like micro events that are either important or like speak to me about gaining some sort of intimate insight about a person or a time period. And this is, there's no specific time. There's a date range. And I just wrote like general 1950s to 1960s. And I said, eat a quaint lunch with some beverages at the Tam O'Shanter with Walt and some of the animators. So for listeners, um, the Tam O'Shanter is a small little restaurant, and it's still there. Catherine and I have eaten there. As of Robin Hall. Oh, yeah, you guys were there with us. <laughs> yeah, the day we met Bob Iger. Um, oh, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, it was Waltz and, and um, the animators. It was one of their, like, hot spots. They always went there for lunch. And I just think that that'd be such a cool place, because I, I told Catherine this, and she's like, well, why that? Like, couldn't you, like, choose to, like, if you wanted? I said, well, I couldn't do this exercise without getting some like FaceTime with Walt Disney. And she goes, well, yeah, but if you wanted to do that, why wouldn't you pick something like the first time that, um, uh, the Sherman brothers were in his office playing songs from Mary Poppins. And I said, well, because like this kind of thing, you get some of the like water cooler gossip and stuff that like, who knows what happened at some of those lunches? Like, they could have just been brainstorming and, like, coming up with ideas for the parks or doing business talk. Or even more fascinating to me is the possibility of them just, like, chatting and not really talking about Disney and not really talking about work and seeing the insight into the type of people and the intimate relationship that he had with these guys, like Mark Davis and Ward Kimball, the big hurt, Frank Thomas. <laughs> but I just think that that would be so fascinating to be a fly on the wall and sit in the booth with these people who were absolute, you know, obviously Walt, but all the animators that were just foundational into the early um, periods of the Disney animation and Disneyland. I just think that that would just be incredible to be able to hang there and like have some drinks and shoot the S with Walt Disney. <laughs> Makes me want a roast beef sandwich. Mm. Oh my god, mm. so good. So that's good. a good one. I like that. Mm, yeah. yeah, that is. That's interesting. All right, Scott, what do you have? Okay, I'm hoping I get the dates of these things <laughs> right here because you know I'm not a Disney historian, but I I tried to look these up and, and confirm if I could. Uh, my first one is 1958, uh, and I would have liked to have been along with Walt Disney when he discovered. I put that in quotation marks. The monorail near Cologne, Germany. Oh, dope. Now, the, in, the interesting part about this, as I was reading into it, is that Disney legend says that he discovered the, the monorail at a demonstration site as he was coming from a movie shooting going to Cologne, Germany. Um, and the movie was actually the inspiration for the Matterhorn at Disneyland. However, um, there is some speculation that he may have known about this in advance from various articles about the monorail, as was being discussed um, I guess it was potentially going to be installed in several locations in Brazil. And so there would have been articles he could have seen in advance, but the Disney legend is that he saw it as they were driving along the road, stopped, and, you know, the rest, I say, is history of, of getting the monorails into Disneyland. So did I think he that ride be, it at this? Do you know? My understanding is that he did. That's awesome. Is that he, he got to test it out and 
was like, yeah, this is way better than what we're going to be doing. So in in my head, he's like in a private car and he's like, stop. They would pull yeah. over dramatically to the side of the road and he's like, what's that? Drive me to that. Take me to it. Yeah. And then they ride it. But uh, yeah, I think that would have been cool to see. A, a cool moment either way, whether he knew about it in advance or not. Yeah, that's a really good one. That is a good one. It's very you. That's like <laughs> such a, a Scott choice. I almost had a monorail. Monorail related one? Yeah. Yeah. Just, All right. So, Rob, where would you go? So, okay. So, 1955, and it's not what we think. Okay. It, it is uh, Disneyland adjacent, but it is the opening being there for the opening of the Disneyland Hotel. Oh. So, um, those that maybe aren't familiar with the history, um, the current configuration and, and the way it looks is not how it opened in 1955. So it was originally a motor inn, um, and it consisted of just over 100 rooms in five two-story complexes. So it was, you think of... That's pretty small. You think of your <laughs> uh, Oceanside, you know, your Jersey two-story uh, mm-hmm. motor inns. That's, that's kind of what it, it looked like. Uh, it was owned by Jack Rather, um, the, because Disney basically didn't have any money to build a hotel. They approached uh, Hilton and Sheridan, and they had no idea where Anaheim was. <laughs> now, take this all with a grain of salt, because I'm using Wikipedia okay. for this information. But you and Bob Iger. Yeah, <laughs> yes. If it's good enough for Bob, I'm Bob Iger. It's good enough for us. Um, but it, it, a, lot of, a lot of it is sourced. Um, Information, but was it called the Disneyland Hotel? It was, yeah. He he gave the naming rights, and and the rather corporation owned it uh, for the longest time. He refused to sell to Walt. He refused to uh, sell to uh, his brother after Walt passed, uh, and then finally, Jack died. His wife died, and it went into some corporation, uh, and the Disney company bought the corporation. And then sold off the rate. So they ended up, uh, let me see here, they ended up getting a bunch of other assets, including the Lone Ranger and Lassie TV series. <laughs> but they sold that stuff off and just kept the hotel. Oh, that's wild. So then yeah. at some point, they leveled the that hotel, building what we now know as the iconic Disneyland hotel. Yeah, the, the hotel went as far over as the current monorail station in downtown Disney. Oh, so it wasn't even built on the same it, plot it, of it, land? It was. They shrunk the footprint of the hotel when they built downtown Disney. Oh, and okay. Then, then you got the towers, mm. which instead of Sprawling. building horizontally, they built vertically. Yeah, and the, and the building of the the current, the modern Disneyland hotel is pretty fascinating in itself because of like the modular design of how they, they basically took... Uh, kind of similarly to the contemporary in Florida, they have like they had like the square boxes where they basically just like had the rooms and placed them <laughs> in there via crane, like a the contemporary. Is it- they did that with the contemporary, but they also did that with the Disneyland Hotel, where they basically just had like the cubed rooms and like placed them in in slots, and they're and they're huge. Nice. I didn't know that part. So, but yeah, I would Catherine, like to. Can you fat? Am I right? <laughs> I'm <on> not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't want to call you out. It's like you could be right, but you could be wrong, as as always. <laughs> you may be right. There's it's only one you of those two. I may be crazy. I may be crazy. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. 
I, I always, I, I have a fascination with the Disneyland Hotel. That one just feels like it's such a good, like, like you think of that type of, like, roadside 1950s mm-hmm. Disneyland. I love that. You know, they did the mermaid uh, auditions for the submarine at the Disneyland Hotel pool. Like, there's just, the Disneyland Hotel was a happening spot since the very beginning. So, I'm, I have a... Love for that. So, all right, Holly, what do you have? All right, I'm going to take us back to September 10th to the 13th in 2009. Okay. For the very first D23 Expo. Oh, that's a good one. I love D23. Mm -hmm. Um, The times that I have been able to go. (laughs) Um, But no, it would be very cool to go to the very first D23 Expo. And I'm just like kind of looking at some stuff over here. Um, This is where they released many future projects for the expansion of Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom, the extensive rehauling of Star Tours for Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios. there were also some show. They were showcasing models and tests for future attractions um, at some of the pavilions and the celebrities. Oh my gosh, Betty White. Oh, yeah. like I saw <laughs> Betty White's name. I'm like, oh, I would have loved to have had a glimpse of her. And there's also Robin Williams, uh, Nicholas Cage, John Travolta. Stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> Which of course Nicholas they did a face. Yeah, where they did a face-off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Tim Burton was there, and of course Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh yeah, he always loves to do uh, that. And the Muppets can't forget the Muppets. Miley Cyrus, right? Yeah, Miley Cyrus was there. Wow. This was like so. a lot of teasing about the Avengers at that time too. Like it was a lot of like Earl, like before the Avengers was what it was today as we know being such a huge success Mm -hmm. there was a lot of early rumblings at that d23 so i wonder how well it was attended i don't think it was well attended because d23 started in 2009 so i think and i don't think it was like a huge hit like i remember advertising like they were going hard on the marketing and I still don't think that many people are actually like D23 members. I think the expo is more important than like the club itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a great choice, Holly. That's definitely, mm-hmm. I feel like less lines, right? Yeah, I was oh. going to say. <laughs> for they had sure. Huh. Probably guess people didn't catch on yet. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. All right, so um, my second event took place on June 14th in 1959, which I believe this is what Rob was alluding to earlier, and maybe a piggyback off of Scott's last um, event that he chose. And this was the grand opening of the the Disneyland monorail system, the Matterhorn Bobsleds, and the submarine voyage at Disneyland. Um, These three things were All the same day? Yep, such a resurgence for that park. Could you imagine three e-ticket attractions opening on the same day in the same park? So wait, monorail, submarine, and what? Matterhorn. Oh, wow. So um, on this day, um, this was the first major expansion of Disneyland, and really it kind of provided the landscape of the Disneyland we know today, um, because those three things are still there in some capacity. Um, Walt Disney planned to share this celebration 
um, you doing a television uh, special hosted by Art, Art Linkletter, who did the opening of Disneyland as well. He invited more than 2,000 members of the press, celebrities and dignitaries. Um, the biggest guest of the day was the vice president, who is Richard Nixon, um, his wife, Pat, and their daughters. Um, if you've ever seen any of the old school Disney, you know, vintage footage, there's a great scene of Walt and Nixon cutting the ribbon for the Disneyland monorail and it doesn't actually cut. So they have to rip it apart. <laughs> Walt rips it when Nixon's holding the scissors looking like a total dumbass. Um, and then, <laughs> um, and the, just the whole day seemed like such a fun, um, just like fun from beginning to end. Um, and there's one part of it, so indulge me a little bit while I tell you about the whole day. Um, at 7.30, ABC got there to set up all their stuff and rehearse. And then the vice president got there around 9 in the morning. Um, and then at noon, there was a parade and lunch was at the Red Wagon Inn for Walt and all his uh, his guests. And so they I did, saw all those scary Mickey and Minnie uh, mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, so I'm going to get more into the parade in a second because I don't think it was actually Disney focused. Right. Um, but the Red Wagon Inn, I was looking at this and this was um, Walt's favorite restaurant in Disneyland, which I did not know like that was advertised and it's where the plaza is, plaza is right now. Um, and it was, it seemed like it was similar types of food and I guess that makes sense why the Red Wagon hot dog stand is right there, which is obviously one of our podcast's favorite snacks in Disneyland. Um, it looks like they went to church in the middle of the day, which is great. Um, That's dope. I love to, on a Disney day, the thing that I like to really do is right in the middle, I just like to go to church. Um, and Where is the closest church to I don't right? know. And I bet it doesn't even exist anymore, yeah, true, honestly. True. Yeah. Um, it's a Denny's now. <laughs> yeah, it's an I'm proud of the altars, kids. Uh. Um, <laughs> so at noon, um, the vice president and his family were guests of Walt Disney at an informal luncheon at his apartment, which is, I would definitely want to be there for that. I would love a grilled cheese sandwich on Walt's grilled cheese machine in his in his apartment. Um, at 1.15, the pre-parade stepped off by the fire station. Uh, Nixon and his party were in the horseless carriages from City Hall to the reviewing stand, which was right at the hub. And they set up like bleachers at the hub. Kind of like blocking Main Street and the castle. It stopped right there. Um, And the reviewing stand was built at the Central Hub. And there's a great photo um, that shows Walt and Nixon and Roy's in the background. And then there's this gentleman in the foreground of the photo. And I did not know who he was. But this hits a lot of my Venn diagram interests. Um... Haley Mills is also in the back, and you'll see uh, Walt's kids as well. But the guy standing in the front was Meredith Wilson, who was the composer of the smash hit musical The Music Man, which was in its first theatrical run on Broadway at the time. So Mr. Wilson was an invited guest of Walt's, and he got to sit behind the vice president. Um, and during the taping of the parade, Art Linkletter said, What do I see down there, Meredith Wilson? Do you want to come up here for a minute? Um, and you're the music man. What do you see coming down the street? So they had a brass band with 76 trombones marching down Main Street USA playing his signature song. Mr. Wilson came down from the bleachers and conducted the brass band on that day. That's crazy because I feel Which, like the music man is Main Street USA. Yes, I do too. You will hear, you know, Wells Fargo Wagon, Lida Rose. It's like the Dapper Dan's 
whole soundtrack is the Music Man. Um, and then uh, they had the matter. There was a Matterhorn show at 2 p.m. Um, the vice president got to eat at the Carnation ice cream store and <laughs> um, pose for photographs. Um, and then Matterhorn, Autopia, and the motorboats were open to the press. So I, I'm assuming Disneyland wasn't open this day. It was just like guests because it wasn't open every day back in the day. You don't think you could be like just tooling <laughs> around with Richard Nixon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then at 3.30, there was the submarine dedication ceremony, and you can see them breaking a bottle of champagne on the Nautilus. Uh, the photos from this day are great, so if you just Google, like, the opening of the monorail, just excellent, excellent photos. Um, and then there was a press party at Holiday Land, which is also something I've always wanted to do. That was, like, the picnic land kind of over by, like, where New Orleans Square is now. It was technically, like, on the outside of the gates, kind of. Like, it was like you could, like, pack a picnic lunch. Um, Nixon was doing a potato sack race. <laughs> yes. Pie-eating contest. Well, in fact, <laughs> so there were uh, fireworks at 6.15, and then at 6.30, the end of the day, Walt Disney will meet Vice President Nixon and his family and escort them to the informal press buffet and party in Holiday Land. Um, so this just sounds like such a freaking great day from beginning to end, just like so many like historical moments and people, and I would have wanted to be there that day in Disneyland. So that was my number two choice. It's a good one. Thanks. Good one, yeah. That's the second most iconic Nixon thing that happened at Disney because oh, yeah, that's true. he delivered his famous I am not a crook speech at Disneyland World. The Disney World contemporary. Disney World, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Matt, what do you have? Um, this one is, um, I'll, I'll do my, I'll, I'll leave my, uh, I'm going to do... I'm between just, two. Just tell us what it is. <laughs> this is in 1991 or 1992. I want to be in the room to watch Robin Williams record his voiceover parts for Aladdin. Oh. Mm -hmm. So good. It's a good one. I, Such a good one. I have kind of a fascination with, um, like, voiceover artists and, and being in the... And, and recording booth sessions for iconic times. And I was like, I could go with any of them. But I have to go with Robin Williams because he's notorious for doing so much ad lib in like all of his projects. And I would just want to be there to watch him like cursing as the genie. <laughs> like, cause you know, he did. Like, you know, like he was just like, they were like, go Robin Williams. And he was just like <laughs> ad libbing all these lines as the genie stuff that will never see the light of day. And just like the most raw, um, you know, raw footage of, of a, a genius in comedy and seeing him record the music to friend like me. Like, I just feel like that would be the most magical, amazing thing to witness in person. I feel like there's been a lot of talk about that very recently with the Mrs. Doubtfire R-rated cuts. Yeah, that's what that's what made me. <laughs> well, what's funny is I, I, I came up with this maybe the day before that story broke. And I was telling Catherine about that. And I'm like, oh, I thought about that Robin Williams Aladdin thing for the podcast. And then the next day I saw that it's like <laughs> they had enough footage from Robin Williams that they would have had to make Mrs. Doubtfire NC-17 or whatever because of all the ad libs. Oh, give me did. that. I, I would watch that. <laughs> yeah, but, but imagine that as the genie. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, my God. God, There's like, great footage of him in the recording booth as the genie at the very end of um, Waking Sleeping Beauty, the documentary, which is on Disney Plus. So if you're interested, definitely, it's amazing. the The footage they have of the voice actors doing their thing 
on that documentary particularly are so great because you get to see uh, Jody Benson do Ariel too I think on that and it's just like so insane to see them do like be our guest too it's 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 crazy. also in the other um the boys uh no um the one Howard yes yes mm-hmm. yeah and from what I know about animation uh voiceover work is that you know they're often asked for any given line you might be asked to do it 20 different ways back to back so think about any of the iconic lines that Robin Williams says in in Aladdin like um you know kiss with a monkey ah, hairball like he would have had to do that maybe 30 times in different inflection and different he was probably doing weird accent work and like <laughs> just think about being able to watch that from what you know about Aladdin having I mean I've seen it a hundred times and then being like oh man he could have done it that way or or man he he said that like I just feel like that would just be so fascinating yeah it would be that's a good one. That'd be entertaining. I really like that one. I was going to steal it if you didn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, Scott, what do you have? Okay. Well, a little background on this next one. One of the most fascinating things that I find about uh, any of the Disney stuff is the failed Westcott project. Oh, yes. And the giant gold spaceship Earth or whatever <laughs> it would have been that would have ended up in Anaheim. Um, but there's not really any significant dates around the failure of that particular project that I would want to be part of. However, in August of 1995, Michael Eisner gathered Disney executives in Aspen, Colorado to decide how they were going to repurpose the space. And I think that would have been a really interesting time to be present, to watch them decide what stayed, what went, what the theme of that actual California Adventure Park ended up being. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I would imagine that there were dozens of ideas that probably went into that that you know never left the cutting room floor but uh i I can imagine that being really entertaining don't they talk about that specific event in that um 20 years of dca uh i don't think they talked about it i feel like they mentioned a trip to colorado in a question um and he was like they were like when did uh when did the idea for disney california adventure come and i think that he mentions oh well we went to colorado with uh, michael eisner he, he does say that. He it's like in it, passing. He, he called it some kind of session. I want to say blue sky, but oh, that's yes. not... It, yeah. Or a retreat. Yeah, it, that is what he said. It was Bob Wise, right? Correct. Yeah, blue right sky. Because the, they have the blue sky cellar well, yeah. in, in DCA. <laughs> but, and, and also interesting about that time period is it was relatively contentious from what I know of it. Like, that Eisner era was, like, volatile. You know, like, not everyone... Like, for all the things that Michael Eisner did for that time period, he had his... um he had his critics within the company. Well, like, I think it's it's easy to look at Disney now and you're like, oh man, that's a mega corporation that never had financial troubles. But, you know, back in the early 90s, that wasn't quite as certain. And when they were developing... California Adventure here in 1995, cost was a serious consideration that they had to take into into consideration with it with what they were spending on it and whether it was right. going to make them a a profit. And this was a year right after Frank Wells died, so this was probably like the biggest project that Eisner had solo without Frank Wells at his side. Yeah. So it was that that would be really interesting to see. So that's my yeah, second one. That's a great one. Great, great, great choice. Great yeah, that's choice. cool. Rob, what you got? So my next one um, sort of involves Michael Eisner in a way. So um, 
it's 2004 and the Disney Pixar relationship is ending. Bob Iger becomes CEO. Uh, gets named CEO early 2005. Uh, takes office and calls up Steve Jobs and says, I have a crazy idea. And he was going to go up and fly up and see him. Um, and Steve Jobs says to Bob Iger, no, just tell me what it is over the phone. He's like, what if you sold us Pixar? So I, uh, Steve Jobs says, well, that's not that crazy. So he goes up, he sees them, and they have a meeting, just the two of them, again, with a whiteboard, mm-hmm. where they list out the pros and cons of doing this sale. This is my favorite part in Bob Iger's book. Yes. So, um, and Iger recalls some of the things on that, on the list, Jobs' list, list of cons included, Disney's culture will destroy Pixar, <laughs> distraction will kill Pixar's creativity, your board will never let you do it. And, and don't forget, Bob Iger is not Bob Iger at this right. point. He just takes right. over for Michael Eisner. And I should say, the relationship between Iger, I, Eisner. Eisner and Jobs was terrible. Right. Jobs, Jobs hated him. him. Correct. Right. And duly so. Like, I, Eisner was a jerk. Yeah. So I mean, Jobs was probably no saint. No, no, but what what Eisner was willing to do to Steve Jobs' IP at the time, basically saying like, "Well, I'll make Incredibles twenty eight until you know, like, and I'll take those characters that we can use." It was terrible. Oh yeah, yeah. So at the end of the whiteboard session, um, apparently there was a few solid pros and then a dozens dozens of cons, but. Jobs ends up saying a few solid pros are more powerful than dozens of cons. And so in 2006, Disney bought Pixar for $7.4 billion. And now... Heck of an investment. Yeah. Right. I mean, now you just think of Pixar. It's just synonymous with Disney. Like right. You can't picture the, the parks without right, it. Right. That's an awesome one. That's a great one. Just yeah. being in the room with those two titans of industry. <laughs> yeah. That was a really good one. Excellent. Good job. All right, Hall, what do you have? Man, you all have, like, I'm just like over here, like listening to like history. Yeah, I could be there. I could be there. I was like, <laughs> man. All right, well, you know how much I love my Disney movies, and you know I have a pretty massive collection. So I'm going to go back to December 21st of 1937, and we are going to yep. go to the Carthay Circle Theater mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, California for the premiere of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I would love to have been there for the very, like, first showing of Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I this, mean, how, like... I, I mean, this is historic. This was actually, yeah. to be fair, this was also on my list, so I, <laughs> I love this choice. I would definitely want to be there. And interestingly... We talked about this documentary, and they said that there were like not a lot of pictures of the inside of the Carthay Circle, and I'm just like, well, we could we could have documented that. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been us. Absolutely. It's just old Hollywood. It is glamour. It is you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, this leads the way. Like, oh right, absolutely. So historic. You know, what's really interesting, I found uh, there were, Disney Parks did a like an article on this and they had like the the invitation. Oh. Mm-hmm. So this was super interesting. So as the cast, they have Snow White, the Wicked Queen, the Huntsman, the Prince, and the Seven Dwarfs and they list them all. And at the bottom they say 
Most of the names supplying the voices of Walt Disney's first full-length production are well-known to radio, stage, and motion picture. However, Disney will not allow the names to be divulged, as he feels that this would detract from the audience's acceptance of the voice as part of the character. So they did not tell you who was doing the voices of all the characters. Because they wanted you, when you're watching it, to be like, that's Snow White. Not like, that's Kristen Bell. Right. Which is crazy because that's such a draw now to have celebrities do the characters. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, they, they carry the movie as much as... Yeah, as the story itself. Right. Yeah, the the story behind, oh, well, that's Jack Black as Kung Fu Panda. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have picked something else. <laughs> nope, that's the first one that came to mind. But I'm just thinking, like, yeah, star power is so important to animated features now that, like, to be like, no, we don't want you to know who it is because it ruins the artistic integrity of the movie is such a foreign concept that we're so far removed from. (laughs) Also, the artistic integrity of Kung Fu (laughs) (laughs) They had uh, a menu that night, Mm. and a filet mignon dinner was 60 cents. <laughs> I would be eating oh, the filet every eating night. The filet while watching. I wonder what that is inflation inflated. Mm-hmm. But it's like seventy bucks. Mm-hmm. This one was like a no brainer, and like another like I would love to have been there for the silly symphony symphonies. Oh yeah. Um, sorry, I've been going down the rabbit hole on Disney Plus watching. Oh, do they have the old cartoons on there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, so I'm literally watching one after another. It, I don't know. That's just good animation. Yeah, well, it was. this was groundbreaking. There had yeah. never been a full-length animated feature before. Yep. This was the first one to do it, so it makes sense. Yep. So, great choice, Ollie. Great choice. Really good choice. Um, all right, so my number one event I would have liked to be in the room when it happened <laughs> um, was just a mere few days before Disneyland opened in July of 1955. I would have liked to be at Walt and Lily's 30th anniversary party at Disneyland. He let his friends come early for that preview, (laughs) y'all. That's sick. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, they had it in the Golden Horseshoe. um, And it was five days before um, Disneyland opened. And they also got to go on the Mark Twain's Maiden Voyage. Um, lots of great photos of Walt from this event. He sat up in one of the balcony rooms, which is just amazing. Um, and it was like the first, uh, show of the Golden Horseshoe with the original Wally Bogue, Donald Novus, and Slewfoot Sue. Um, Walt stole, stole the show. He leaned over the balcony and was interacting with the performers, climbing down on the stage, Um, At the end, he gave a speech. He stood there and beamed. It was the first time his family got to see his dream of Disneyland as a reality. Um, So Lily got on the stage with him, and they did speeches and uh, cake, and it was just great. They did speeches and cake. Speeches and cake. That (laughs) sounds great. Um, And just... After they left, after celebrating their special occasion, Walt and Lily headed back home to L.A. Walt took the back seat with a map of Disneyland. He rolled it up and tooted it as if it were a toy trumpet. And before I knew it, all was silent. I started looking around, and there he was with his arms folded around the map like a boy with his toy trumpet sound asleep. (laughs) A well-deserved time to relax and reflect on the importance of his family and perhaps the history that would be made in just a few days. That's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. Yeah. 
Lots of mint juleps too, it seems, and I'm assuming they'd be alcoholic. Well, if he was crawling down onto the stage, yes. I have to imagine that that was not entirely. Yeah, my my first one, the, the possibility of being able to see like a drunk, an inebriated Walt just like really letting loose is was a, uh, a main draw for me. <laughs> All right, Matt, what's your final? This is my number one. I was really excited about this one. And personally, um, it's important because um, listeners should know that I never went to um, the Disney parks as a kid. I always wanted to. But the first time I ever attended was as an adult. I was already 21. And this was in 2007. Or maybe I wasn't even. You were. Oh, yeah, I was. Um, I had just turned 21. and so, my God, Scott Trick, you're st- I hope you can't hear that, listeners. <laughs> oh, you can hear it. If I can hear it on the headphones, they can hear Great. it. <laughs> um, so I never um, got to go to Disney as a kid. And so I missed out on a lot of stuff from the 90s. And I'm a 90s kid. And so I was like, let me pick a perfect date so I can hit a bunch of things. And <laughs> I think I picked the absolute perfect date that I could go to. And that is September 28th, 1996. And why that date is important is because it is the debut of the first ever Epcot Food and Wine Festival. <laughs> In 1996, um, it ran for 30 days, which is obviously Epcot. far Epcot. away from from now where it runs for a full year. <laughs> um, Epcot admission on that day was $42, and most of the food items you could get were between $1 and $3. $1? Yep, all, most of the items were between $1 and $3. Um, you had some stuff that still exists today. Argentina had um, beef empanadas. Um, Greece had the Spanakopita and the Greek salad. Um, Canada had the Canadian cheddar cheese soup, the mm. wild mushroom beef filet mignon with truffle butter sauce mm. and moose head. Um, you know, they, they didn't have a lot. It was, it was very... It was a taste of, you'd say? <laughs> it was very small. But they had, um, but they still had some of the stuff like the guest chefs and shows. Julia Child was there, which was a big draw. So, and yeah. And now we just get the cake boss. Cake boss. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I would love to be there on the first ever day of Epcot Food and Wine. And while I'm there, th- I picked this specifically because there are so many rides or things that I never got to do. So, on September 28th, 1996, I could have done Horizons. Hmm. I could have done the original Journey into Imagination with Figment and Dreamfinder. I never got to do Mr. Toad's Wild Ride on the East Coast, which is intrinsically different from the West Coast version because there are two separate tracks. It's heralded as, like, the better version of the ride. I could have done extraterrestrial alien (laughs) encounter that predated Stitch, and while I'm there, pop over to some stuff that I have done before but don't exist anymore, like Great Movie Ride, the Backlot Studio Tour, and the Maelstrom. I could have done all of that attending Walt Disney World on September 28th, 1996. And the castle was a cake. And the castle was a big cake. <laughs> a Pepto was bismol colored cake. That is wow. the day to That's go. a good one, Matt. That's a good choice, Matt. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a great choice indeed. Thanks. All right. I cannot believe um, nobody took this next one. Okay. Um, 1953. Uh, this is a auspicious day in, in Walt Disney history. And I, I just want to read the way that uh, the conversation went here. Uh, because I think this is a good way to introduce it. Um, Walt greeted Herb Ryman and said, we're go- Herbie, we're going to build an amusement park. 
That's interesting, Ryman replied. Where are you going to build it? Well, we're going to do it across the street, but now it's gotten too big. We're going to look for a place. What are you going to call it? Disneyland. That's as good as anything. Look, Herbie, my brother Roy is going to New York Monday to line up financing for the park. I've got to give him plans of what we're going to do. Those businessmen, businessmen don't listen to talk, you know. We're going to show them what we're going to do. Well, where's the drawing? I'd like to see it. <laughs> You're going to make it. And then 40 hours later, they had a map of Walt, or, uh, of um, Disneyland. And I think watching them create that would be one of the best, you know, two-person events that you could watch. I, I imagine debating and, you know, discussing and putting Walt's vision onto paper. I think that would be one of the coolest events to see. This is a perfect pick. They love to yeah. they love to roll out that conversation in like every yep. single documentary <laughs> on Disneyland. I don't know how many times I've seen that or like Herb Ryman specifically recalling it. And Kath and I quote that like out of context all the time. You're gonna do it, <laughs> and you're gonna do it. And, and then like where he follows up and he's like, he's like, would you do it if? And I think the most endearing part of that is when he says like Walt was like, well, would you do it if I stayed here with you? So they just slept, didn't sleep And they sleep didn't sleep. Week. They pulled an all-nighter, and, st- and Walt stayed there with him all night. And I just picture him being like, you need coffee? Like, what do you need? And mm-hmm. while he's, like, drawing and kind of, like, micromanaging. Yeah, and getting I, I imagine a lot of micromanaging there. And I just picture him, like, getting up and being very restless and, like, being excited like a child <laughs> looking at, uh, you know, him draw it. Like, that's just incredible. That's such a good pick, Scott. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I we've seen the Ryman map before. It was it at D twenty three and it the is the original. So just like awe inspiring because it's still like similar. Like it's yeah. crazy how similar his original vision was. The the yeah the hub and spoke design yeah. where it's like and it's by the way uh, it's huge. Yeah, it's like yeah. A, like architectural. Well, place. and the important thing to remember is that you know we we sort of take for granted that that's how a, a theme park is designed, but. That was not a given Correct. when this was made. I mean, that that was kind of innovative as in itself of how you design a theme park for maximum enjoyment. And it was just one dude, basically. Yeah, this is her. Brian was like, "All right, I guess whatever. I wouldn't do anything this weekend." Who was just an animator? Like, I mean, like that's like his job was making movies, and then it's like, <laughs> by the way, can you make a map for like the future of theme parks? <laughs> yeah. And it's got to be perfect. Yeah. And yeah. it still holds up nearly a hundred years. You later. have twenty four hours to create an indelible legacy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, done a, and that's, done. A, that's a great one, Scott. Good job. Good job. All right, Rob, what do you have? Okay, so um, this, I, I try to define, uh, there, there is one moment that I would want to be for. So we, we know Walt Disney films, his, his last public appearance basically is filming the Epcot video, the mm-hmm. famous, uh, with the, the pointer, project, the yeah. Florida pl- project, he passes away. And then we end up with what we know as Epcot today. Mm-hmm. So how did it get to be the Epcot? Because obviously that wasn't Walt's vision of what Epcot would be. So there's lots of stories. And, and originally there was Future World, which was going to be called Epcot Institute and World Showcase. And they weren't going to be together. Anyone want to venture a guess where they originally were going to put World Showcase on Walt Disney World property. I have no idea. This is interesting. No, I, I Crescent don't know. Lake? No. I'm just... So there, there's actually... I, this is the first time in researching this. This is the first time I found this photo. Basically, where the um, 
TTC and Magic Kingdom parking lot. Oh, oh. like next to Polynesian? Yes. Wow. Yes. Hmm. And so that was just going to be its own thing? It was its own thing. And they realized that they didn't have two. They had two separate things, but not one. Enough. Well, like day. one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, so they combined it into Epcot so Center. The, so what I would have wanted to see, there's a famous story of legendary Imagineers Marty Sklar and John Hench famously pushing the two World uh, World Showcase and Future World models together to create what we know as Epcot today. Oh, I just got chills. I didn't, That's incredible. I didn't just get yes, chills. yes. <laughs> it took me forever to actually, because I could remember seeing Marty Sklar speak of this, and I searched YouTube to find <laughs> the details of him saying it, I finally, I finally found some like archived website um, that D23 actually did for the 30th anniversary and somebody must have archived it and I found it because it's not on a Disney oh, official website. Yeah. So hmm. one of, one of my discarded ideas, Rob was, and, and it was because I couldn't pinpoint it was when they actually threw out, Walt Disney's idea for Epcot as an experimental prototype uh, community in a, in exchange for a theme park, which I think hmm. the audacity of somebody to do that had to be like, I mean, I guess it would have been Roy Disney, but yeah, that seems like quite a a leap. Yeah. Catherine, what's the book? Um, is it the, um, I, I never got to read it and I, now I really want to read it. Um, it's called like the tomorrow uh, it, it's all about um walt's original idea for uh epcot as an actual community and and then it goes into like it kind of falling apart and um like the, it's called like the promise of future land i'm sorry to put you on the spot yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's one that i always wanted sorry. to read you're real sorry <laughs> but um. while you look it up it's i i've always wanted to read that i heard it's um like a really great in-depth teardown of that time period. Well, the impression that I got oh, was... Oh, there it is. Oh, you got it? It's Walt and the Promise of Progress City by Sam Genoway. And this is like... This goes into extreme depths about this timeline. Like, it's almost a little dry because it is so excruciatingly <laughs> detailed. This sounds like a Rob book. Yeah. But it, it's, it, oh, it, Rob, you love it. It's really, really, really good. <laughs> Excruciating detail? Yeah, it, it, it's a good one. Yeah, this is this would probably be a good. Maybe I'll put this on our. Uh, I could even tweet out the link and okay. I'll put it on our Facebook, because the articles aren't. It's broken out, but they're not very long, and there's some good, good concept art and pictures. But oh. the original um, concept was that you would enter the park through World Showcase. That oh. was the yes. That was the main entrance, and you would go down Main Street. They would have a Main Street sim. But like European based, oh. but huh. similar That's to cool. like the international um, gateway, I yeah. guess you could mm -hmm. say. That's yeah. really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And then they developed all those uh, cultural based hotels around the Seven Seas Lagoon, and nothing. Oh, right. That's a that's a great yeah. read. The, you, uh, the Oriental yeah, the Hotel. the Oriental Hotel and the. Um, there was like an Arabian yeah, there was a Persian one yeah there was like, like a and then we ended up with the poly and the grand flow which but but the plans for that are so interesting if yeah. listeners if you haven't seen um, the document I think that every Disney fan should watch that Disneyland secret stories and magic oh, yeah, uh, documentary and I mean if for 
I don't know. I'm just saying it having seen it a million times and being so in the weeds with some of the Disney history stuff that, like, at this point, like, there's not much that I haven't, that I don't know already, but it is just such a good watch, and it's, like, what, like, an hour and a half, the main main thing? Yeah. Seek that out. I don't know where that is, but is it? I don't think it's on Disney+. No, because it was one of those treasure DVDs. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta pull it out the vault. Yeah, out the vault. (laughs) All right, Holly, what do we have here? Our last one, whatever could it be? Oh, this is a big one. Biggie. Okay, so we're not going to go, we're not going to watch this on our television sets. We're actually going to go there. July 17th of 1955. Oh, the day. Yeah, what was that? Opening day of Disneyland. Oh, okay. Opening day. I mean, who would not want to be there? I mean, considering, like, the opening was completely disastrous. I was like kind of reading this article and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I didn't know that happened. That's even more of a draw for um, me. Yeah, I want to be there in the parking lot. Many of the park's attractions weren't ready to operate on opening day. Uh, the Rocket to the Moon, Peter Pan, Dumbo, the Flying Elephant, uh, a lot of those rides were closed. Um, then like the rivers of America like dried up or something. That it was, was like before, yeah. I had read that Walt it? was running toilet paper to bathrooms. Yeah. I mean like <laughs> the fountains didn't drink because like you can buy a coat but you can't pee in the streets. <laughs> uh, what was it? Um, in Disneyland's uh, first few weeks, the stagecoach ride in Frontierland was discontinued um, as it proved it's too top heavy. <laughs> it was prone to like flipping over, and then a tiger and a panther. And a circus parade broke loose and staged a furious death struggle on Main Street. Oh, on the first day? <laughs> oh my um, god, I would love to see then, photos of that. Just, this was on History, History.com, like the History Channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then nearly all 36 cars on Autotopia, <laughs> which Walt envisioned um, like a little miniature freeway to teach <laughs> children to be respectful, like the respectful rules of the road. Were wrecked by wrecked by aggressive drivers who crashed into the impression of the LA freeway. Yeah, um, right, really, Southern California. So it's just really like all these things that go wrong. But there's just one thing that stuck out to me, and something that Walt Disney said. He said, "We'll settle down and get this place operating." Disney um, is assuring the press mm-hmm. before adding, "It may take a month before everything goes smoothly." Mm-hmm. And that right there, that line, if you think about it, everything that we're waiting for to open up. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. They I still think the follow. Still applies. It still applies. Yeah. Um, Which is why they need to do those Ratatouille previews, right? Yes. Um, The importance of taking the time to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the theme park expected a crowd of 15,000 people, and it was, like, invitation only. And I didn't know this, but, however, 28,000. So the counterfeits. Counterfeits, right? Counterfeits. um, That's crazy. Party crashers. I mean, pretty much they, there's, like, a makeshift entrepreneur who was charging $5 a head. Um, <laughs> that's that's industrious. I mean, they were scaling the fence. Um, oh God, it's crazy. That's incredible. It's just some of the stuff I'm reading in here. I'm like, wow. But honestly, though, I would love just to see those original rides in their original state. Oh yeah, like not re- refurbished. You know, ride Snow White, Scary Adventures, mm-hmm. the way Walt envisioned it, and like um, the. Uh, 
Uh, what's uh, why can't I think of the name? Storybook Land Canalbos was very similar to what it is today. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the OGs that hasn't really changed much. Obviously, they yeah. added some new. Yeah, I mean, you know, Arendelle wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like was, just to though. get a glimpse of Mr. Disney himself is just enough for me. Wouldn't you like the, to just the, see him though? The man and be like, the legend. it's gonna be okay, and just reassure him. He of knew. That. He knew it was. You think he was always confident? I do. I don't know if he was always confident, but I think that with visionaries like that, like... They don't ever second-guess themselves. Well, like, yeah, you can't, yeah. because if you if that. you second-guess yourself, then you die. You know, like, <laughs> die. Yeah, that's a great... I mean, I think yeah. a few of us had this on our list. Is definitely... Oh, yeah. I mean, so important to still applying today, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was so fun. I had such a... This was yeah, such this a, was good, a good exercise. Yeah. Did anybody great... else have anything that didn't make the make the list today but want to mention? I'll, I'm like this is one of those things that like the next couple of weeks I'm gonna keep thinking <laughs> yeah, of them or I'm gonna watch true. something and I'm gonna be like, Oh, that would have been great for this. So I mean this is one of those that we can go back and do again later and, and find all new ones. I liked Matt's idea of finding like a specific date to go see all the things you would have liked to see. Like because I would have definitely gone to downtown Disney in Orlando and done like Pleasure Island and gone to the Beach Club oh, and, and gone Island. to like the Adventures Club and the mm-hmm. Comedy Store. Like I would have loved to do that and go eat at like some of the restaurants I like today and see if it's the same or you know go to old 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 places. I constantly think how fortunate I was to see the to go to Pleasure Island and go to the Adventurers Club and get bombed and watch that crazy performance comedy because I had such a blast. That is one of my fondest Disney memories. I'd like to see myself in Disney as a kid when I went there, and I think it was like third grade or something that I was in Disney World. I I think it'd be fun to see what I was enjoying at the time because it's so long ago. I don't yeah. really remember it. Remember what you really liked. I remember I loved um, Horizons. Yeah. Yeah. That you were talking about. Yeah. I don't I, remember Horizons. Yeah. I, I, wish, I, wish, I, I wish, wish I could. Curiously, Spaceship Earth was closed for a refurb when I was down there as a kid. That made you want it more. That's right. I was telling Rob, I wish I could remember like my two-year-old me. <laughs> like, I, I, I was born in Florida. Uh, I was born in Fort Lauderdale. And my dad, who was like a like loved Disney, mm-hmm. he would we would always drive up to Orlando, and we would go to Disney. Yeah, I there's pictures of me the year that Epcot opened. Oh, wow. Um, and I would love like my little two year old self to remember <laughs> a good bit of everything. But that's, that's I, a challenge. Yeah, it's, I mean, I it's always pictures, fun like but, that. Yeah. Like that's such a. Uh, yeah. I think everyone kind of wants that. You know, you take Disney out of the equation. I think we all kind of want at some point to be able to live another memory again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's when you start getting into those really early memories when you're like three or four, like when you're first able to actually retain something, mm-hmm. you can't like remember now if it's like, is that just because I've seen a picture of it a million times or am I actually remembering something like deep in the recesses of my childhood? And I think that this, you know, that there were some parts of this, like obviously I wasn't alive in the 50s, but I think that what you just touched on, Holly, is really, uh, it, it's fun. And it and it kind of builds into the whole like imagination of, of like the essence of Disney. Yeah. Well, it's kind of neat, too. Like, I see photos of, like, my mom and my dad back in, like, the 70s. 
and it's the two of them on Main Street USA. Like, yeah. it, it's really interesting to see, like, what it looked like back then. Like, mm-hmm. my dad took pictures of, like, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, was it the Skyway? The Skyway, or, yeah. It, it's just, wow. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. pretty cool. But yeah. I wasn't born then. <laughs> <laughs> You're a young buck. Young so, buck. I wasn't even mentioned <laughs> That's with really Magic special, Kingdom. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All righty. Really any others that were worth like any other honorable mentions? There? That's that's all mm-hmm. I had. Yeah, good one. Good good at the good. one thing I did find was I thought, oh, what was on the board? Because one of my thoughts was be there when the boardwalk opened. Not much has changed. So ESPN Club was there. Flying Fish was the restaurant. Mm-hmm. That was the brewery. Um, I found an article from. Orlando Sentinel, and it mentions a new type of uh, brew pub where they they brew their own beer and serve it. Like the, the concept yeah. of ninety, so it opened in ninety six. Um, Jelly Rolls was there, Atlantic yeah. Dance Hall. So not much has changed other than the I guess the bakery. Um, that's about it. Yeah, that's pretty. The ice cool. cream place. That's that's. R.I.P. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Does anybody have any last call items? I do, actually. All right. Um, this is... Uh, I'm surprised that Scott isn't um, showcasing this because this is such a Scott news item. <laughs> but um, on April 2nd, Disney is adding a bunch of new Star Wars projects oh. to Disney+. Plus and stuff like the Ewoks movies and there was an Ewoks animated series... But I don't care about all that. I, I'm not as big of a Star Wars fan as, as Scott, and I've never even seen the Star Wars Clone Wars or Rebels. Uh, and by Clone Wars, I mean the one that that ran from, like, the 2008 to 2020. One. The yeah. big one. But what they are adding on April 2nd, <laughs> and I'm so psyched about this, and I have seen this in its entirety, and it's amazing. And it's Star Wars Clone Wars, which is... They did it in 2003, five years before they rebooted it, and it was done by um, the animator who did, who created Samurai Jack, a guy named Gendy Tartakovsky. And it was, Scott, you, you've watched mm-hmm. this. I watched this for the first time with you when we were doing our yeah. big Star Wars rewatch before um, Episode 7 was released. And it, it ran for seasons one and two. Each episode was only three to five minutes. So they're like these, like... Yeah, they're just short. They're, they're short little vignettes. And the um, John Williams did did the music. James Arnold Taylor, who is like uh, in all the Star Wars animated stuff, does voices. And so it's 25 episodes total. The, um, the animation style is totally unique to any other Star Wars property. Some people don't like it. I think it's incredible. Oh, I think it's great. I think, I think it's, really it's incredible. Good. I think it's light. It's light on dialogue and very high on like, um, like style. It does a great job of portraying the action of the Clone Wars in a short, easy to digest way. Yeah. And I guess it's not canon anymore. So it's what do they call it when it's not legends? Can- it's it's part of the Star Wars Legends universe, but it takes place in between Episode Two and Episode Three. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen it, it is. It's really awesome, and it would be a super quick watch. So they're adding that on April 2nd, and I recommend any Star Wars fans who have never seen it watch the original Star Wars Clone Wars from yep. 2003. Good call. All right. Any other last call items? 
Not him? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's clink them and drink them, guys. Cheers. 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 Thank you for listening to WDW Happy Hour. Please like us on Facebook and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to share by telling your friends and also writing a nice review on iTunes. Cheers. Cheers.